Greetings once again, Retreat Church. Thank you for joining us online today. This, today we are continuing our series on value alignment, and this is um, week number two. And what we're doing is looking at the three core values of the Church of the Nazarene and how they relate to the Retreat Church and any other place where you might be worshiping today or even just in your own life. And again, as we often do, we try to um, present the Word of God in such a way that it has a corporate um, shaping effect on our whole church, and then also an individual application for your own life. And so if you're a part of the Retreat Church, we want you um, to be aware of you know who we are as a community and the things that we find to be in, important as a, a local expression of the Church of the Nazarene. If you're not part of the Retreat Church, then we want you to be fed individually and be able to um, enhance your relationship with God through the teaching of God's Word. So that's how we're approaching this um, series once again, looking at our value alignment, the three core values of the Church of the Nazarene as they're expressed in our personal lives and as they are expressed here at the Retreat Church. And so as we begin this discussion today, and we look at this value um, of holiness, this is the second um, value among the three, the first being that we are Christian, which we looked at last week, the second one today that we are um, holiness, we value holiness, we're what is known as a holiness church or part of the holiness tradition um, based on the teachings of John Wesley among, among others. But as we look at that doctrine and we look at the emphasis that the scripture um, has on holiness, Sometimes we underestimate or undervalue or kind of de-appreciate, that's a word, um, but we, we, we kind of want to water this idea down or put um, God's holiness in, a, in kind of a category that of things that we just talk about but yet is kind of beyond us almost, that we think of God being holy and we think of his commands to be holy as something that is in the Bible, but mm, not quite sure we ever grasp it, not quite sure we ever really um, apply it and get there, so to speak. And so we want to kind of look at that because when that happens, when we start to devalue the doctrine of holiness, what happens is it kind of results in a misunderstanding of God's love for us because we start underemphasizing holiness and then that leads to kind of this love of God that's permissive, that um, doesn't hold us accountable, that is somehow um, sweeping sin under the carpet. Well, he loves us, so it's okay that I'm doing these things. He loves us, so, you know, these sins that I have in my life are kind of okay that they exist here because of the love of God, you know, and, and God's grace and God's mercy. And so when we undervalue the doctrine of holiness, we kind of end in this messy kind of place where we're misunderstanding and misapplying God's love. But on the other hand, if we overemphasize this or apply it in ways that are um, not taught in scripture and not emphasized by Jesus, then what we end up with is like this conditional aspect of love, that God loves me if, or God loves me when I perform. And we start taking on um, the scriptural call to holiness is something that God has kind of separated himself from us and he's watching us and he's saying, well, when you get this down, when you live up to a certain standard, then I'll start loving you. When you live up to a certain standard, I'll start working in your life. And, and we have this kind of disconnect that God is this um, judgmental, um, harsh, um, legalistic kind of person. And that 
has ended traditionally in the church with people just giving up and thinking that maybe they're too bad to receive God's love or God's mercy and grace. And so they just kind of then give full full force into a life of sin and, and, and moving in that kind of direction. So how do we really get a, a strong handle and a proper emphasis and a proper understanding of God's holiness as it applies to our relationship with him? And so that's a big task to do in just a few minutes, but we're going to give it a shot. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of different scripture in our time together today. So if you have your Bible with you, this would be an amazing time to, to have it with you and to, to flip through along with us. And uh, if you don't, then perhaps maybe jot down a few notes or come back later and, and kind of spend some quiet time with the Lord over maybe one or, or several of these passages of scripture that we're going to discuss today. And so when we look at this idea and trying to find, as I've been describing, that I think the main thought of today, the main takeaway would be that we value God's call to the to a life of holiness, that we really start to take that seriously and um, understand that God already loves us. <laughs> okay, he already does. Um, he cannot help but love us. Um, and so let's kind of get that out of the way, that it's not something that well, when you, then I will. God's not saying that. God says, I love you while you are still sinners. I love you while you are running from me. God's nature as holy love cannot do anything but love you in the purest sense. And so um, we learn to value this. And that's kind of the emphasis. And that's the step that I would like um, each one of you to take today. Is just say, you know, um, where is that value of holiness in my life? And have gotten I under valuing that or am I overemphasizing that to the point of legalism? And so let's dive in today. Okay, so valuing God's holiness really begins by understanding a couple things. And the first thing that we want to understand is that our call to holiness is based upon his nature as holy. And I know that there's a lot of um, discussion today and uh, we, we kind of take these two ideas of God's holiness and God's love and, and we, we want to we, we kind of put one above the other so many times. We say, well, no, God is love. And and so um, that ends in this kind of weird application of tolerance, um, of over-tolerant of things, and of permissiveness, and of an abuse of grace, because, well, God is love, and so God just loves everyone, and God just doesn't um, condemn anything or anyone, and it becomes this messy, um, sloppy um, version of Christianity that's not Christianity at all. And in fact, when it becomes that, um, people um, re reject the notion of God all the way around because it just ends in something that doesn't look anything like Jesus. And so really to take this characteristic of God, this attribute of God, and to say that God in his essence is holy love, that together you can't separate his holiness and his, and his love. They're not two really distinct things. They are one and the same, that you know God is holy, therefore he loves right? And therefore he loves purely, therefore he loves justly, therefore he loves righteously, therefore he, he loves fairly. And so when we look at that, can you imagine, you know, if God was not holy, but yet he was all powerful, that would be the scariest version of God that we can come up with. Because, well, if he wasn't loving, but he was all, all powerful, then he would just destroy us at, at any whim that he would act, um, he would, he would act wrongly or, or act in a way that would be very dangerous for our world. And we could not really trust a God who 
um, is all powerful or all knowing, but yet not holy. And so all of the different attributes of God really stem from this idea and this concept of bringing those two together, holy and, and love, and taking it together to say that God is, in his essence, holy love. Look at Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, where he um, says this, um, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And so our relationship with God, our call from God, is stemming from his nature as holy. And so when we're coming into this, that's the first thing that we need to understand is to say that God is calling me and you to a life of holiness because he is holy. And as that begins to play out, we see Jesus using this um, thought as well as he begins to take this notion of because God is holy, he's calling us into a life of holiness. Jesus applies this to this concept of loving your neighbors rightly. So notice how Jesus takes these ideas of God's holy nature and love and puts them together into a proper place where Jesus does this um, in Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through 48 where he says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, you not, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And then the last verse, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he's taking that same concept that because God is holy, God is perfect, pure, then as we approach this topic of love, we are even going to love our enemies. That we're not going to love like the world loves, but we're going to love like God loves because we are the people of God and God is holy and we are stepping in and pressing into this value of the attribute of God as holy love. And so this is how it begins to apply and move into our life. Again, the basis of how we love people is God's holiness. And so that's the standard. That's the motivation. That's, that's the reason why God is calling us into holiness is because of his nature as holy love. I believe that we also need to understand that our call to holiness is experienced through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We must, as Christian people, get beyond this performance kind of um, idea that, that has so plagued the church for so many years. As I said a few moments ago, this notion of holiness and walking in holiness and living in holiness before the Lord is not something that God is separated from and calling us to live up to the standard. I mean, we can see by a plain reading of the Ten Commandments and a plain observation of our own lives that there is absolutely zero people that can take the Ten Commandments and even the Beatitudes and the teachings of Jesus and say that, okay, God, you stay right there and I'll perform. Watch this, God. I will do it. I will live up to the standards. I will be self-disciplined. I will um, shape my life into this area to where I'm going to be so pleasing to you that you will accept me as your child. That is not 
anywhere near what's going on in the scriptures. God is saying that his nature is holy. He's asking you to value that and to step into that. And as you surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, he begins to work his holiness in us. Notice what the, church, what the manual of the Church of the Nazarene kind of summarizes this, and then we'll look at a couple passages of scripture. The manual says this, um, we believe that the Holy Spirit convicts, cleanses, fills, empowers us as the grace of God transforms us day by day into a people of love, spiritual discipline, ethical and moral purity, compassion, and justice. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that does this in us. What I want you to do is I want you to look at some scripture that helps us kind of unpack this idea that the manual summarizes for us, right? Because it is the work of Jesus Christ that restores the image of God in us and produces the character of Christ in our life. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not for you to attain, okay? On your own, in and of your own strength and willpower. There was no one able to do that at all. So this statement of the church in the, in the manual, the church of the Nazarene, um, if you were to read the church of the, the manual and you'd read this portion, you would see numerous um, scripture references placed in there. And we're just going to dialogue with, or um, discuss, discuss a few today. The first one is Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 and 27, where we get this promise from God um, of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So when we're saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is what produces this holiness in our life, we're saying that God first promised it. So if God promised it, it's going to get done. He, he's he's going to do this, right? Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, God says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will, or I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see that he's, this, 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 this very important word in the ESV, and cause you to walk. It is the work of God that is causing you to move in these directions. Some of you can share wonderful testimonies about how, you know, your life was lived and about your um, maybe lack of love or your immature love, um, maybe your lack of ability to get over certain um, things that were really destroying your life. And then you came to Christ, you surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit, you stopped trying to perform and you looked at Christianity as not a performance-based relationship, but a relationship of surrendering to a promise of God to fill you with His Spirit and to work things in your life. And you can testify that you are a brand new, different person. Again, not talking about perfection, okay? But growth and maturity and day-to-day -day reshaping into the image of God that he created us in in the first place, as you would read in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. We also have this um, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's what, I, that's what I'm alluding to when I say to you that when we surrender to God and we pray and we accept by faith 
the work that God wants to do in the filling of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist refers to this as the work of Jesus in baptizing his people in the Holy Spirit. When John says this in Matthew 3.11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he, Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so that Holy Spirit coming and the fire portion of that is that cleansing, purifying work of the Spirit within you. And this is, again, a promise. The work of Jesus is based upon the promises of God in the Old Testament. Jesus has come to fulfill all of the promises of God because in Jesus, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. And here in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is foretelling, as a prophet of God, the work that Jesus is going to do. So when did Jesus do this? One of the particular passages that we can look to to understand how Jesus fulfilled this is found in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 2, we'll read two small portions from there, beginning with Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Starts with Luke writing, in, your fir in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles who he had chosen. He presented himself alive after his sufferings by many um, proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, You had heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Moving forward into Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here in this place, you have this promise being fulfilled and the Holy Spirit given to the church. And from that point forward in the book of Acts, you notice that the apostles begin to pray for people in different cities and different towns with the laying on of hands and praying for them that they would receive to the Holy Spirit and by faith as people would surrender their lives to the Holy Spirit and by faith be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is when the church received power to be the witnesses of God and to be able to overcome all of the hindrances that were present and continue to be present in our day as we seek to be the people of God, filled with His Spirit, valuing holiness. Now, with the idea that God calls us into holiness based upon His nature of holiness, the infilling and the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of God in bringing us to maturity and creating this holiness and working His holiness in our lives, we then have to commit to something, right? We have to commit to what we've been talking about so far in this series, with aligning our life with what we value. Because so much of what we say is important in our life, we don't really spend our time, energy, and resources on. That our values are just kind of these stated things that, that we, we might put on a wall, that we might list on a sheet of paper, that we might talk about. But really aligning our lives to what we say we value takes some effort and takes some planning and takes living 
life on purpose. And so what I challenge you to do is to align all of your life to this call of holiness that God has placed in the scriptures and brought before you. So how do you do that? There's a couple ways that I'm going to challenge you to, to, to kind of realign some of these things in your life to make sure that you are aligning your life with the value of holiness. And the first is simply this, press on to make it your own. You're going to have to press into this. One of the popular phrases in our culture today is to lean into something, right? We're seeing all we're supposed to lean in, lean in, press in. Okay, but that's some words that Paul was using. So though it sounds kind of trendy, um, it's really not. It's really quite biblical. Found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, where it says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Notice the motivation. Jesus has made me his own, so I'm going to press into him. Jesus has made me his own, so I am going to move and press forward. I'm going to put forth some effort into my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to align my life with valuing the fact that he has made me his own. Because he made us his own, we're pressing into him, into this idea of holiness, not the other way around. Not, I'm going to try to my best to live holy so that Jesus will make me his own. No, he makes you his own while you're a dirty, rotten, foul, stinking sinner. And then he begins to mold you and shape you, and we press in to that very fact. Verse 13 goes on to say this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you as well. So we have this goal of pressing into this concept and aligning our life with the holiness of God because Jesus has made us his own. I believe also, it alluded into this passage, but also in verses 1 of Hebrews chapter 6, we learn a second way to align our lives with the value of holiness, and that is to go on to maturity. Let's let's go on. Let's let, let's move past some basic ideas. Let's grow up. Look at what the author of the book of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of a faith towards God. So we, we, we've left behind this, this, this life of baby Christianness. It's okay if you've just become a Christian, if that's fine. But if you've been a Christian for a number of years and you're still like a little baby, you, you got to decide to get some value alignment in your life, and you have to decide that you're going to start growing up a little bit. Maturity is a decision that we make when we follow Christ, that it's not just trying to get out of hell or to solve an initial problem, but we really want to value our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we want to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ and come to a mature faith in Him. Thirdly, I believe that as we abide in God's love, that we make the love of God our house. That we make it where we live. Notice what we learn in 1 John. It's a rather lengthy passage of scripture. Hang in there with me if you're um, listening and, and don't have your Bible with you. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that he, excuse me, we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have been, or excuse me, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and, more, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God, God abides in him. By this is the love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he has so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And, his command, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. So you see how the love of God poured into our life. If that is happening, it's going to be manifested in this love for one another. Again, let's get the order straight. God is holy love. He loves us. He calls us into be his own, and he fills us with his spirit, and he works love in us. So, finally then, if this is something that you're saying, Pastor, I really want to align my life with the holiness of God and with this value, then this is what we must pray. We must pray that God would pour his spirit into us and therefore strengthen us. Notice Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I bow the knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And that's where this is going to come from, right? Strength of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so that becomes our prayer, ladies and gentlemen. That becomes the prayer of the Christian that wants to press in, that wants to go on to maturity, that wants to align their life with the value of holiness, that we begin to pray, God, fill me with your spirit, strengthen me in my inner being so that I can express your love and holiness to a world that so desperately needs God. And so when we begin to do these types of things, I believe that God is going to do a wonderful work in your life and in the work of our church. And it begins with surrendering and value, valuing the love of God in us that says that his nature is holy. He loves us unconditionally. He wants to fill us with his spirit and he wants to bring us on into maturity. I'm praying for you. I pray that God would give you strength in your inner being. And if you wouldn't like to become a follower of Jesus Christ, contact us today via our website, would you? There's an email there for you. It'll go directly to me and we'll contact you and help you begin your new walk with Jesus Christ. God bless you. We'll see you guys next time.